So how is it that a person can come forward, join a church, be baptized, and still be lost? Because Baptist churches are filled with people like that. You see, you can't come forward because your friend did. You can't come forward at Bible school because that's the easy time and takes the pressure off. You've got to understand that you are a sinner and you are lost and you are deserving of hell and that's where you're going. That's called conviction. And when you understand the convicting power of God, you are in a place where you can respond to holy God, to Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary. And when you understand for yourself that Jesus died for you and he is your only hope, you respond to him. Now, when does he save you? When you say the prayer? The sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. But we pray, right? He saves you the moment your heart bends towards him and your life is like a prayer to God. And then you come and then you cry out, you confess, you repent, you turn. And I don't know when that moment is, but I know he does save you. And when he saves you, he changes you. Now, I got saved when I was a 10-year-old boy. I hadn't done a whole lot of bad stuff as a 10-year-old. But I was still a sinner. And I was filled with pride. Because here's what my thinking was when I knew I was lost as an 8-year-old boy. Does this relate to you? What will all those people think about me if I go forward? You ever think that thought? That's pride. Pride is what damns more people to hell than anything because we fear man. We worry what others think about us other than holy God. So so when God speaks to your heart, you can't guarantee he's going to speak every day. But when God especially speaks to your heart and he pulls back the curtain of eternity and shows you where you're going to spend it without him because you are a sinner, he is calling you. He is pleading with you, come and be saved. And the Bible promises that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, that's a glorious promise. And when he saves you, he changes you. Well, how does he change you, preacher? He comes into my life. He comes into your life to live. And he, he works inside us through the person of the Holy Spirit as an umpire. And he calls it in or he calls it out. He calls a foul. He says it was a clean play. He disturbs your heart and you know what way to walk. You know what way to go. But if you push back his hand, your heart gets calloused. And you get comfortable. And you're backslidden even though you may show up for church every time the door's open. You see, when God saves you, it's not just so you go to heaven when you die. Though that is tremendous, isn't it? (laughs) What about here and now? He saves you for now. 
He saves you. And the Bible teaches that eternal life is a qualitative type of life that starts the moment you meet Christ. It's not in the sweet by and by. It is in the here present tense when you live with all the hell that's going around you. You live to the glory of God. He said, I save you for a purpose now. And so I allow things to transpire in your life that will drive you to me, that will enable you to seek me. But you've got to respond to me. Do you respond to God? Or is it just a routine? Look in Genesis chapter 18. Have I told you yet where I am? I better get back to where I am or we'll never get where we're going, right? Abraham was an amazing character, wasn't he? You study the life of Abraham and you realize this man, he left everything at the word of God. He left his home. He left his people. He left and obeyed God. He, 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 he never wrote a book. He lived in a tent his entire life. But he is called a friend of God. Why was that? How did he get this title? Did he give it to himself? No. He got that title just as you can get that title as well because God himself can extend it to you because Abraham knew how to respond to God. Did he do everything correctly? No. He he made major choices that were wrong. He sinned and yet God knew how to restore us. Abraham knew how to repent. Abraham was a great builder of altars. Abraham knew what it was to seek to get along with the Father. He never wrote a book. And yet we're here today as Abraham's children. Because Abraham knew what it was to pray. Do you know how to pray? I'm not asking do you know how to say your prayers. I'm talking, do you know how to get still and commune? Look what it says in Genesis 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and he bowed himself toward the ground and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts after that ye shall pass on for therefore are ye come to your servant and they said, so do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly measures of fine flour, knead it, make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd, fetched a calf tender and good, gave it unto a young man, and he hastened to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. I'm begging you just to linger in this place. 
And God, help us to respond. In Jesus' name. Abraham found favor with God. And because Abraham found favor with God, his family found favor with God. And you find favor with God. Do you realize that that Abraham cast a shadow that's lasted 4,000 years because he chose to walk with God. He chose to arrange his life unto the Father. And can you imagine for 4,000 years, can you imagine if God would allow you to cast a shadow over the next 10 generations of your family that would enable them, that would encourage them, that would bless them because you knew what it was to walk with God. You knew what it is to seek after God. You knew what it was to entertain the presence of God. You knew what it is to host God amongst you. You see, see, this is where we miss it. We think we're doing a service by saying our prayers. And we don't understand that prayer is an attitude of our life. We don't understand that, that prayer is, is this idea, this communion that we come before the Father. And, and we're not giving him a list of things he needs to do and a list of things he needs to fix. But we are coming before God saying, God, I just want to hang out with you for a little while. God, I want to adore you because you're my God and you're my Savior and you're my King and you're my Lord. And I can't make it in life like you want me to make it in life without your presence. And I can't go another day without knowing that you're with me, knowing that you're going to sustain me, knowing that you're going to guide me. You see, see, I need you, Father. And Father, I just want to come before you and I want to sit with you for a while. Does anybody understand that? Because, you see, if you don't understand that, you're missing most of what the Christian life is all about. It is not about a whole lot of things you run and do. It's about you learning to host the presence of God in your life. You learning to entertain God in your life. Do you see what Abraham did? Abraham is sitting in his tent door. It is hot and the sun is beating down. It's the middle of the day and it's not a good time to be out and about. And he sees three men. He sees three per se strangers walking close to his camp. And when you lived in the ancient world, you didn't just show up walking through the middle of somebody's campsite saying, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? You would always get a little farther back and you would stand there hoping that they would see you because what you were wanting was the person who owned the camp for them to give you some hospitality you wanted some water and so you lingered looking at the camp and if that person saw you and ignored you you kept on walking because you are not welcome here if that person saw you and did not look to you and come to you, you would pass by because you are not going to receive hospitality from this camp. And so here it is, Abraham. He's sitting in the door of his camp in the middle of the day with the heat that's beating down and he sees these three men. But, but, but you understand these are not men. These are angels. And, and you understand these are not merely three angels. One of these angels is the angel, which means he is a Christophany. He is the, the appearing of Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament, before Jesus Christ died on the cross. Here is Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He has made his way down into the land there of memory where Abraham was, and he was lingering close by, and he was not forcing himself into Abraham's life, into his camp. He was lingering there. And when God lingers close to you, do you have sense to pause and recognize it? 
Or do we say, lunch is at 12, preacher, you better be done. Because if you don't connect this dot, most of your Christian life is going to be frustrated. And you're going to gravitate to the fake Jesus that's being propagated. Who it's all about love. You know, when the angels stood before the presence of God, they didn't say love, love, love. You know what they said? Holy, holy, holy. He is so much other than we are. So Abraham, he sees these three, these angels, the angel. This is the third appearance that he has had of the angel of the Lord. And he responds. And when God speaks to your heart, do you respond? Or do you say, what's all them people going to think about me? Because if you don't, Respond. He can pass right by you. Now does that concern you? If you're a blood-bought child of God, that ought to concern you. And so Abraham, he gets up from his tent door and he runs to these three. And you got to get the gravity of what he says. He says, let me get a little water. So I can wash your feet. You ever been to a foot washing, guys? We've hosted them. When God sat down in our church in Tennessee, last night of 40 days of revival, we had a foot washing. That's nothing compared to taking a basin and coming before the one who gave his life for you and getting on your knees and taking that blessed foot. Woo! You see what Abraham's doing, guys? He's not saying, oh, here's my list. You, you got to answer my needs. He sees the, the very person of Christ and, and he, he says, get me some water. And, and, and Christ allows him to, to take it and to give him refreshment. And, and then he says, quick, Abir, Abir, Sarah, honey, go make some bread. If you, if you study out what he told her, she made 20 loaves. <laughs> and he didn't just go get a side of beef. He got the whole cow. Right? Why? Because he's lingering by. And I don't want him to pass me by. It's in the heat of the day where, where the coolest spot is in my tent door. But, 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 but the Savior is, is lingering my way. And, and I see him. And I'm going to respond to him. And I run to him. And, and he's not coming into my camp without me inviting him. When was the last time you invited him to come into your life and to 
just wear you out <laughs> to get you where you need to be. That making sense to you? He says, he says, fetch a morsel of bread, comfort your hearts, get a tender calf, get it dressed. Butter, milk, and he brings this. Now, now, how long does that take? Five minutes? Hour? It takes a while. Would we agree with that? And, and he's lingering, waiting, because, see, see, he's come to you, and you've responded to him, and he's lingering uh, in your midst, and, and you're getting, he's saying, and, and you bring that, that water, and you bathe his feet, and you bring the, the fatted calf, and you bring the butter, the milk, the eggs, whatever it is, you brought the bread, and... He never sits down. You got that? Abraham. He stands as a servant. Anything else, Lord? Is that how you come to God? Anything else, Lord? Or do we just come with our list? And we watch our watch because we're in a hurry. And we don't understand what it is to linger in the presence because we got things to do. But when the Savior leans his spirit, blows his breath in your direction, the smartest thing you can do is say, yes, Lord. And you wait. And you come before him as a servant. And you're not seeking his hands for what you can get. You just want to be with him. Does that make sense to anybody? Because, you see, when you get caught up in the presence of Christ and, and in humility, you, you are before him and, and repentance, you are, you are with him. You're no longer worried about him answering your prayer. Listen, you're no worried about getting that special prayer request answered. You are, you are simply concerned about, I need to lay hold of you. I need you with me. I need to be in your midst. I need to be in your presence. Does that make sense? Because that's what it is. And we live in a day of watered down everything. And we know nothing about the presence. And because we know nothing about the presence, he doesn't pass by. Or he does. And he passes us by. So how do you respond you see, this is what prayer meeting is. This is what your, your daily devotion time should be. Where you come before God and you get still and you say, Father, I just want to come here and be with you and thank you and exalt you and praise you because you are my God and you are my Savior and you're my Lord and I just desire to be in your midst, to desire to be in your presence. You remember the book of Revelation over in chapter 
1, 2, and 3, where, where Jesus is there and, and he's walking among the candlesticks. He's walking among the churches. You understand God created this world. You do realize that, do you not? And it is His because He created this world, this universe, everything that is. He, he spoke it into being. And, and yet, yet, yet many times people want to deny that. And, and even when, when, when we deny that and we rebel against God, he, he, he bought it again with His blood of Jesus Christ. He redeemed it. It's twice His. But, but we don't want to accept that still. And so we want to teach evolution. Everything just evolved. And we keep going back, going back. And we deny that. And we want to say, oh, oh, there's many ways to God. There's not. There's one way. And you come his way or you don't come. And you don't come on your terms. See, you come just as you are in your sin. But you don't leave like you came. And you can't come to Jesus and say, well, Lord, I'm going to give you up, but I'm not going to let go of this. And you've never got saved. That's why you have false professions. Because it's all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. And so God created the world. And then, then he redeemed it. It's twice his. And he, he, he equips you and he equips me. When he does truly save us. By, by giving us the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us. And teaches us to understand what the Bible says. And, and as we read and as we study. And as we pray and seek God. He, he illuminates. He guides us. And, and we're to constantly be responding to God. See if you're not responding to God. If you're not responding to scripture. You're not walking with Jesus. If you're not regularly saying, Lord, how do I need to adjust my life to you? We're missing it. Because it's this constant adjusting. See, see, there is a straight and a narrow way. And believe it or not, the way gets more narrow and more narrow. Why? Because I'm more consumed. I'm more focused on the very person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is there in the book of Revelation walking among the candlesticks, the churches. You ever read what he said to the church of Laodicea? You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. You sicken me. I want to puke you out of my mouth. And here's what he said. He said, you think you're rich? You don't think you need anything. You know anybody like that? They don't need, especially Christ. But he's talking to a church. And it says there at the last few verses of chapter 3 that he's on the outside of the church. Knocking. To gain entrance. Is God on the outside of grapevine knocking to gain entrance? Oh, but we can sing. Man, the preacher can preach me happy. 
Are you responding to Christ? When he passes by to you, say, oh, Terry, let me get water. Let me get bread. And I stand as a servant before you. God is looking for people to host His presence. God is looking for a people to, 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 to say, entertain Him. The church of Laodicea, He could have kicked the door in. We don't want God kicking the door in, do we? He can kick the door in of any nation. But we don't want God coming in wrath. But he knocks. He knocks on hearts. He's knocking on some hearts right now. And he's saying, I died to save you. And that heart's saying, but but what's all these people going to think about me? And there's a battle raging. I've been in it. He's knocking. Now, in Genesis 18, the implication is that these three angels, two angels and the angel, they would have passed by if Abraham had not risen From his tent door. They would have passed by. If Abraham had not indicated a willingness to receive them. They would have passed by. If Abraham had not gone towards them. They would have passed by. If he had not said. Please don't pass me by. Let me get water to refresh you. Let me get food to take the king before you. Does God need their food? No. But there's something about our heart yielded to the Father when we bow ourselves in worship of Almighty God. It does not feed Him physically, but it, it, it is what He is, wants us for. He wants us to exalt Him, to praise Him. He, he doesn't need your food, but He wants you to minister to Him by showing forth that yielded, humble, repentant heart of worship. But He, they would have passed by. I was walking this morning, I was listening to some preacher and he made this one little point about when Jesus went through Jericho. You remember that story? Who did he meet at Jericho? Zacchaeus. And, and this guy said, he said, that's the only time in the Bible we find Jesus going into Jericho. Maybe today is the only day that, that Jesus is going to pass by your way. The only day. What are you going to do? I'm going to roll the dice, preacher. Life is short. It's but a vapor. It's here for a moment. Then it's gone. But Jesus, these angels, they would have passed by. And if Abraham hadn't have responded. And so, so, so my question is, are you willing to open the door of your life and respond to God and say, God, come into my life and be real. And and Father, teach me your ways. And and, and Lord, show me what it is to host your presence, how to stand before you as a servant. 
And see, see, it's not that we're even asking God to answer these really big needs that we have. But we're just saying, God, I need your presence. I need to lay hold of you. Do you understand that? And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's not talking about answering prayers, but he rewards you. And he bestows that upon you. His presence where you walk with a confidence knowing that you know him. Knowing that you have the assurance of your soul, your faith. And knowing that, that, that as you walk with God, he, he rewards. He, he will bestow upon you and, and your family as well. You ever read the account, I think in Mark 6, it's two or three times in the New Testament where Jesus, he fed the multitudes and then he sent the disciples away into the boat to go across the the Galilean Sea and he goes up into the mountain to pray. You read that account in Mark and and, and it's it's like Jesus is up in the mountain praying and it's a two-hour boat ride to cross the Galilean Sea and, and now it's... 3 to 6 a.m. And they're toiling and they're rowing. And Jesus, he looks out and he sees them toiling and rowing. And sometimes I realize that's how God looks at us. He sees you, he sees me, and we're toiling and we're rowing with the issues of life. We're toiling and we're rowing with the difficulties of life. And we're striving and we're working and we're trying to do everything that God has told us to do. And we're toiling and we're rowing. And it's late in the night. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he gets up from that mountainside and he starts walking towards him his disciples and he starts walking and in the New Testament time the ancient mariners if they saw a phantom on the water they believed that it was a sign that their ship was going to sink and guess what they saw they saw him they thought it was a phantom they screamed like a girl right Because it's all over. And Jesus. Peter said. Jesus. If that's you. Bid me come. And Jesus said. Come Peter. And Peter. He got hold of the side of that boat and he threw that one leg over. He's lost his mind because he's getting ready to let go of what is real for what is supernatural. He's getting ready to let go of the physical to trust in what he cannot express only in that he sees Jesus and he heard the word of Jesus. And until you will allow yourself to let go of that which is tangible and trust completely in Christ, then you'll never know him in this fashion. He calls you to a new dimension of faith. It's a new dimension of prayer. Because he's calling you to start trusting his word and not what you can see and not what you can lay hold to physically. He's calling you to let go and say, yes, Lord Jesus. You say, well, Peter sank. Peter was the only water walker on that boat that night. And when he sank, he called Christ and Christ grabbed him. See, see, this, that's what prayer is. 
It's going to another dimension in your faith. It's going to another dimension whereby you start hearing God speak to you. You start knowing what God is saying and you respond in obedience to everything that he is saying. Now we'd say, now Lord, if that's you, wave at me. But I ain't leaving this boat. But Peter said, Lord, if that's you, speak me, come, and, and I will come. So what storm stopping you from trusting and walking and leaning into Christ? I, I find this interesting. Peter didn't say, Lord, deliver us. Don't you find that interesting? He said, Lord, if it's you, just bid me come to you. And in the process, God spoke peace there. But here's what's interesting. If you look over there in that text in Mark chapter 6, verse 48. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. About the fourth watch of the night, he cometh to them walking upon the sea. In that last sentence. And would have passed by them. That deserves an underline. I think Jesus walks right into living rooms. And he passes right by because we don't respond to him. I believe Jesus walks right into the middle of hospital rooms. And he passes right by because we don't respond to him I believe you can be fighting and fussing with your wife and he shows up in the middle of your house and he quickens one of you to pray but you don't respond and he passes right by Does anybody see that besides me? Is that concerning to anybody besides me? Because he shows up. But he would pass by lest he showed up. And there was Abraham looking. He stood up from his tent. He went out from his tent. He greeted him. Please don't pass me by. Let me fetch water. They responded. And you and I so many times. God prompts our heart to pray. We don't understand it. We feel awkward doing it. He prompts our heart to witness. We feel like we're not equipped. But we don't. And Jesus passes right by us. Anybody getting this? Because this is what prayer is. Because he will prompt you to pray at some of the most awkward times. And we say, I'll just pray silently. That's not what he said to do. Because I need to engage my wife. I need to engage this person. Or he can pass by. And if he passes by, he may never come this way again. He may never show up in that situation for certain. And you're toiling and you're rowing. And you get this sense we need to pray. And you lean in.
and Jesus lingers. There was a college professor years ago at a liberal arts college and he had this way of scaring all the new kids in his class. He would stand up every year at the beginning of the semester with a glass beaker in his hand. He said, anybody in here a Christian? You learn those Sunday school songs? Anybody in here believe the Bible? Because you need to if you believe the Bible. If you're a Christian, I want you to ask your God to make this beaker not break when I drop it on this concrete floor. Let's see if your God really answers. For any takers, any Christians, he was like a Goliath that scared everybody. And I will tell you that Satan did that to Jesus and Jesus didn't bite. When Satan said, cast yourself off the temple and let the angels catch you, show everybody. But this professor stood up year after year and finally as a young man in his class said, I'm a Christian. Probably the hardest thing he had ever stood up to say. I'm a Christian that day. And and the professor paused. He said, well, we've got one. Now we can wait till after Thanksgiving break and and you can get ready if you want to do it then. Or we can give you time to go call your pastor and and have him say some prayers. He can come here with you. Uh, When do you want to pray? And, And he said, I'll pray now, sir. Everybody be quiet. We want to respect our brother. And that young man, just like I would be, you would be trembling, simply said, God, I want to honor your name. And somehow you let that beaker not break when it drops. Amen. And that professor and his smugness, he took it, stood up and took that beaker and dropped it. And something happened. It got a little bit of an arch on it. And it hit the professor's shoe. And it rolled unbroken. And everybody erupted. You see? And that might be where you are at your workplace. Your school, where everybody wants to dishonor Christ. And God says, if you'll lean in, I'll linger. You remember last Sunday? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And I'm afraid so many times we don't draw near to him. And he passes right by us. And and we don't seem to understand it. See, there's going to come a time where you have to stand. You may not understand it. It's not going to be comfortable. You won't be the popular one. But you have to say, as for me. In my house, we will serve Jesus. Because, see, God, that's what he's looking for. 
He's looking for men, women, boys, and girls who know how to host him, who know how to, who, who know how to entertain him so he can show himself gloriously alive. And, and if not, he will pass by. Now look what it says back over in, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. See, see, see Moses, not Moses, Abraham, he, he's, he's washed the feet of the angel. He has given them food. He has he has brought. He stood as a servant. And, and then look what it says. And they said to him, "Where is Sarah, thy wife?" Because next year you're going to have a son. See, see, God's already told Abraham this. He, he told him this twenty five years ago. And for 25 years, he's waited. Now, can you imagine coming to church? Who's 75 in here and wants to admit it? All right, and Malcolm says, next year, God's told us we're having a baby. Barbara? Sarah? Okay, now, now he does it once, and we go, Bless his heart. Right? He does it every prayer meeting for 25 years. We call 911, don't we? You know what Abraham did when God told him? He rejoiced. You know what he did next? He said, I can't believe your word, God. Genesis chapter 15. Let Elijah, my servant, be my heir. No. I gave you a promise. Next thing he did, he, he, he got with Sarah, and Sarah lost her mind, right? She said, take Hagar, this other woman. That ain't ever going to happen at the parting house. <laughs> see, see, no. Because, see, they couldn't get their arms around what God had told them, and they tried to dumb it down. Let's water it down to where we can do it. And that's what churches do all across this land. Let's just water it down to where we can manage it. We can do action steps and we can do one, two, three. Then we've got it. And if you can do it, you've done it. And God's not the one in it. Mm. Because God wants to show up and say, it's me. And so, God Here's one point. When they hosted the Father, when they entertained the angel, God started speaking truth into them. Promises. Most folks never get to that point because they don't know what it is to entertain the Lord, to to host the presence of God. But when you start entertaining, hosting the presence of God in your life, He starts telling you truth. He starts reinforcing in your heart and in your mind the truths that, 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 that you're to have. And, and, and see, when you think you can manage it and you think you can handle it in your own strength, you're missing it completely. He says, I'm going to break your barrenness. Is that what I say? And see, if you never host him, you don't even understand barrenness. Because you're so busy flitting here, doing this, that, and the other. 
you don't have a clue. It's just your flesh parading. Is this making sense to anybody? Because, see, see, you've got to understand coming before God and, and, and bending and, and submitting. And, and then he starts to speak truth into you. Whereby it's beyond what you can comprehend. It's beyond what you can do. And see, 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 barrenness is going to be broken. It's always associated with how you pray. Anybody remember David Wilkerson? Man, he was a tremendous prophet of God. He started Teen Challenge. Maybe you're familiar with that. I think the cross and the switchblade, if you go way back, it was based on his life. But when he started Teen Challenge, it began with a one hour a day when he prayed as he was a pastor out in Pennsylvania. And out of that one hour, God birthed this. How about, have you ever heard of the Navigators? Drawson Troutman? And at the end of World War II, he had this vision, this burning leading from God that there's to be someone on every American naval ship discipling soldiers in faith. And it all started after he spent 40 days of prayer. And, 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 and Billy Graham said that Dawson uh, uh, Troutman was one of the most influential men of the 20th century. It all started out of a prayer meeting. How about George Maloney? Anybody heard of George? He had two daughters. And, and before his daughters were, were, were even born, he was praying an hour a day for his daughters, for his kids. Now, now you think, now how do you do that? Well, you start writing out what you want God to do in their life. You start writing out, God, I want you to give my child a hunger for you, a hunger for the Word of God. Give them a desire that can't be satisfied. You start writing this stuff out on a pen and a paper, and all of a sudden you start seeing all that you want God to bestow upon them for His glory, not for your selfishness. And He did this for these two daughters and these two daughters they grew up they got married they married two preachers they had four kids they were three girls and one boy three of those granddaughters married preachers glory and the boy grandson was a black sheep he became a what is that a psychologist his name was James Dobson wouldn't that be a black sheep it all started because of daddy said I'm going to pray I had a pastor tell me, he said uh, he knew a man that his daughter left home, became a prodigal, and he had no idea where she was. And this was before cell phones, so we're going back a ways. He said, and God just put a heavy burden on his heart to pray for his prodigal daughter. So he got away from everybody and he got alone and he started pouring out to God for this daughter. He said, God, I don't even know where she is. I don't know what's going on in her heart, in her life, but God, you do. And God, intersect her right now. God, put somebody in her path. Father, you just work. God, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Lord, forgive me. Why am I having this thought about chicken in my mind? I'm praying for my daughter, Lord. And I just beg you, God, that you would speak to that daughter and get the little wing. Lord, forgive me. This chicken just keeps coming to my mind. God, and he's praying, and chicken just keeps coming to his mind. I was and, and as he's praying, all of a sudden he sees Barcelona, Spain. He says, God. God, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Why am I thinking about Kentucky Fried Chicken and Barcelona, Spain and my daughter's prodigal? Forgive me, God. 
And he reaches over and he picks up a phone and he says, okay. Information, Barcelona, Spain. Do you have a listing for Kentucky Fried Chicken? Oh, you do. It's a new store. Could you ring that, please? Hello? Yes. Would such and such be there? We'd not open yet. I don't know how they speak in Spain, so that's my best (laughs) accent. Well, I was just looking for my daughter. Her name is. Hang on. Hey, is anybody here today? And there's a girl walking down the sidewalk. Woo! And they called her name. She walked in. She picked up the phone. And her dad said, honey. And she said, daddy, how did you know? He said, God told me to call the Kentucky Fried Chicken in Barcelona, Spain. And you're walking down the sidewalk outside the building. Listen to me. When you host the presence of God, he tells you secrets. When you run through your prayer list, he don't tell you secrets. But when you know how to host his presence, he speaks truth into you and he tells you secrets. I don't believe that preacher. He's never told you a secret, has he? And he doesn't tell you secrets to go report in them like this. He tells you secrets for his glory. See, what did he tell Abraham? They said, shouldn't we tell him what we're going to do next? Keep reading the text in 18. We're going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham says, my nephew lives there. And you know how it goes. If there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 30. See, listen. He tells you secrets. So you start interceding on behalf of others. Do you see the circle here? I still got my prayer list over here that he's not even addressed. whispering in my ear truth he's telling me secrets he's teaching me to intercede on behalf of others that are around and and we bow before God and we say Lord here I am and God says you're my friend so what's God saying to you I've told you all about revivals and revival places and times. They're all produced by the power of Holy God when people pray. Not say your prayers, 
that when people, God's people, pray. And we learn to stand as a servant to our Savior. And we say, God, is there anything else you want? And he starts birthing in your heart. Things you don't even want to tell somebody because they ever think you're crazy. But that's his vision. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Do you host God or do you just have a quiet time? Are you in a position for God to tell you his secrets? Maybe you're here and you realize I don't know that I know that I know if I die tonight, I'm going to heaven. Well, let me tell you this. God wants you to know. He is for you. But you've got to put your pride aside and obey. Father, we... Thank you, Lord, that you lingered in our midst. Father, we pray that for whoever's here that's lost, God, that you bring such conviction to their heart, they understand it without doubt. But God, they also respond to you. Father, if there are those here who are saved, but Lord, they're struggling with stuff. Just show them, Father, what it is in their life that they've got to deal with. Because God, we've all got stuff that gets in the way. But Father, I pray for us as a church. Thank you.